I'm Riker, and this is Pilot. So while I'm singing the theme to Star Wars, there's a scrolling marquee going. You can't see it because it's a radio. Uh, it's a podcast. But it's going on right now. And it's saying that, hey, uh, we're we're reviewing the pilot to The Mandalorian today. Yeah, I was going to say, that's definitely not a part of The Mandalorian at all. A, I didn't hear that theme. And B, there was no scrolling text, which actually I credit it for. Yeah, like, that's no, great. it wasn't move. there, but this is Star Wars. And it's this is, if we don't do that, it's going to confuse people. <laughs> <laughs> yep, like, that You didn't apt. know who The Mandalorian was, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> no, they didn't have that, which I got to say, it's a really weird part of the show for me mm-hmm. that um, it's like it's beautiful as a TV show. I mm-hmm. think it's a beautiful show. I think some of the um, some of the really long, big shots of, you know, desert or, or snow, like at the beginning, they're on an ice planet and they yeah. go to the desert planet later. It's a huge show, but it's a very small Star Wars movie. So you don't have a big orchestra with the big themes. You have a you have a small you know musical setup, and you have kind of a western country western to fit in the theme. Not like country music necessarily, but yeah, it's, it's the, the gunslinger vibe, was. right? Mm-hmm. It's a gunslinger vibe. So it's a whole different yeah. you know musical set setup, which is which makes the show feel theme, small for me because Star Wars is big. Uh, they kind of do. Was there a title sequence in this episode that I missed? Because I don't remember there being any sort of a musical setup. In fact, no. I think it was very absent of music altogether. Like, no. I do not remember even a score for this. Yeah, they do their little Star Wars vanity card thing that they do at the beginning. It's like C-3PO's face. It's, it's Darth Vader. Okay. It kind of just says, Gotcha, I thought that was Star a production Wars. thing. Yeah. It was, yeah. And it says, like, this is a Star Wars product. It's kind of yeah, like the Lucas Marvel films. thing. Like, yeah, Marvel. It's, so it's a... It's a it's Star Wars the brand. So it's like that's the vanity card that they're yeah. using for Star Wars the brand. That was very pretty. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. And it's funny because it's a very stark contrast to the actual um, the, <laughs> the rest of the show. Yeah, because it was like very shiny and you see, yeah. Yeah, and digital and metallic and mm-hmm. colorful. It's really pretty. Mm, so here we are. I've seen this. Um, I maybe. Are you it, all caught up? I'm all caught up. I don't okay. know if this Ooh. is this is too much TMI or not, but uh, Ooh, I, didn't, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't super love the first season when I watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually, I would say I thought it was pretty kind of a, well, I liked it fine. I thought it was a totally overrated show okay. and I was completely annoyed by how much credit it got for being wonderful when it wasn't so wonderful to me. It was just different. Uh, I'm rooting for it. I thought, well, for sure I'll be back for season two. I'm not one who will probably continue to pay for Disney because it'll only be Star Wars stuff that I probably take an interest in. Uh, and then I, they announced that there's going to be 47 different Star Wars shows. It's like, okay, fine. So I guess I'll end up paying for Disney eventually. But <laughs> Just to get the whole universe. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm rooting for it, and I didn't get to the end of season one and say, that was crap, I'm not going to watch it. Just, guys, that wasn't as wonderful as you made it sound. Mm-hmm. Really interesting, lots of unique pieces to it, but 
Come season two, I'll still support it, and I kind of hope it finds where it's going. Yeah. And I was pretty impressed by season two. I really enjoyed season two a lot. So That's pretty cool. Yeah. So that being said, you're coming into it fresh. You're fresh. Of course, you're familiar with Star Wars. You've seen Star Wars, but mm-hmm. you're not a fan by any means. Yeah. I mean, I'm not anti-Star Wars, but like, I honestly, I don't, I haven't watched it a bunch. I don't fan out over it. Like, I was really excited, you know, when the, I won't say the original three, the first three episodes, because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're definitely not the original three. Mm-hmm. The ones that, you know, the, the, that you grew up with. Yeah. The ones that I grew up with, like, which unfortunately was the era of Jar Jar Binks. And, yeah. You know, we won't get into that, but you know, that's the Star we Wars I We don't do controversial <laughs> topics. <laughs> we avoid it. This well, is, this is a podcast for a quarantine generation, <laughs> nothing too heavy. We're not going to talk about he who shall not be spoken of. J.J. <laughs> Abrams. Jar Jar Binks. Sorry. Those stupid J names. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> oh, throwing shade at J.J. Abrams. Uh, at least it's not Joss But you week. know what? I know that J.J. Abrams is such a swell guy that he'll be on this show eventually. I know he eventually. listens to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. oh, uh, he'll be on this show eventually. And I'll be like, okay, sorry. I sort of super have a big man crush on the guy. It was pretty lovable. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, so I, I haven't... still think he's lame, though. Go ahead. I haven't... Yeah, I, I never really got super into the Star Wars fandom. My brother was a big fan. Um, you know, he had all the video games for it. The pod racing game, I especially remember just loving. Because um, he was a boy. Is this a boy-girl thing growing up? Uh, maybe. And I had another... You know, I had a, a girlfriend, Kelsey, who was also pretty into Star Wars. And, you know, she, she knew all of the alien breed you know the names of the breeds so like you know the species thank you <laughs> alien breeds <laughs> see this is I how like things. not in touch with this i am like yeah. but, <laughs> i just don't see, know it's just a lack of literacy it's like yeah. you know what you're trying to say but in you any accidentally other sci-fi, it would be called... the word breed oh yeah <laughs> Touche, touche. Uh, like I come from a horse. <laughs> I come from horse background. So there like, you, you know, different breeds. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully that's not offensive. I don't know. Species, <laughs> breeds, whatever. <laughs> well, you know what? Everybody's a Star Wars fan on a certain level. Like yeah. on a certain oh, level, yeah. you're very familiar with it. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely. way more familiar with it than you are. Yeah. Uh, I'm well, <laughs> our viewers, <laughs> our listeners at this point know quite well I'm I'm a Trekkie, mm-hmm. uh, so I get protective. Like, I get a little bit like, no, I can't be too into Star Wars because I'm a Trekkie and Star Trek doesn't get enough yeah, attention. Yeah, it seems like you're in one camp or the other. <laughs> like, I, I thought it was odd that you actually liked Star Wars because I feel like most Trekkies I know are like, mm, you have to pick one, Star Wars or Star Trek, and Star Trek is better. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm an actual Trekkie where I get possessive about it and competitive mm-hmm. with Star Wars fans. That but I'm sense. also an American who likes sci-fi, yeah, so of course, of course I love Star Wars. I had... I had so many action figures of each, but the ones that I cherish, the ones that I could tell you where they're all still located, (laughs) (laughs) are my Star Trek The Next Generation action figures. But no, I had a million Star Wars. I was a big Star Wars kid, but you... Everybody was. I guess that's the point. It's such. I was gonna say it's very mainstream sci-fi. Yeah. Like it is what made sci-fi popular in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like Star Trek. Don't get me wrong, was a big deal, but you oh, know yeah. the nerds are into Star Trek. Like you have even pointed out that a lot of Star Trek fans are pretty closeted. Totally. <laughs> you don't know that about a lot of people. Totally. But here's the here's the thing: is that Star Trek is really nerdy, mm-hmm. and it's like on the surface, it's really nerdy. Yeah. And below that, you have, you know, a lot of people that are, oh, well, I don't want to compare different types, nerd types. Let me compare nerd types. Sure. Like Star Trek nerds run so deep. Mm-hmm. 
Like the nerdness runs so deep in their blood. And it's throughout their blood. Don't get me wrong. We are nerdy. But Star Wars gets into... Star Trek is sci-fi. It's like Mm -hmm. traditional sci-fi. This is science fiction. Yeah. Star Wars is sci-fi because it's in space, but it's really fantasy. Yeah, so I would agree with Neil that. So Neil deGrasse Tyson, I once heard him say, he said, "Star the Enterprise, uh, well, we won't get into the debate, but <laughs> the reason that the Enterprise would kick the shit out of the Millennium Falcon, there I said it, is because <laughs> <laughs> he said the Enterprise is like, it's like real fake mm-hmm. as opposed to Star Wars, which is fake fake. Yeah. And I know what he's saying, right? Because at the root of Star Trek is, you know, once upon a time there was NASA and then we got here. Well, sure. once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, here was this stuff in this whole separate fantasy universe that to th- to these days reminds me in some ways more of Game of Thrones than it does of Star Trek because you're talking about empires. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, where I'm going with this is the Star Wars nerd culture runs much deeper because they have the they have the extended universe or the expanded universe and it's all organized like it like like the star wars nerds knew what the mandalorian was like i didn't know what a mandalorian was i thought yeah. it was going to be a was going to be boba fett or and and i thought well what's the mandalorian i looked it up i watched youtube videos on it and they got into in depth like they showed like cave drawings they showed <laughs> they showed archival like discoveries of what the Mandalorian culture was like, you know, a million years ago. And I thought, what the fuck are we looking at? Like, this is no Star Wars thing I've ever seen. So it runs so deep that it becomes, to me, kind of inaccessible. Like, like the layers of Star Wars nerdiness, there's not really layers of Star Trek nerdiness. You're mm-hmm. either a Trekkie, a casual viewer, or you really don't know much about it. Yeah. Star Wars is, there's a spectrum of nerdiness, and it can get really, really, really weird. Now, there's a lot more to it when I was looking into it that it gets into stuff like, I don't even understand where the source material is. Where did this specific cave drawing come from? When was it discovered? Like, how does this fit in? I had no idea. So I think for a lot of us, this was like a really kind of out there Star Wars without Jedi. Like, wh- like what yeah. is it again? And so, you know, there's the the Star Wars TV landscape. Just by having this come out and... It was big news. Like this yeah. is a big, this is a big deal, from a um, from the perspective of pop culture. Sure. Um, anyway, so how did you feel about it in general as sort of a familiar non-fan? Um, it was definitely a totally different universe. It was um, it was exciting because it has some familiar elements, and I'm no longer like I feel like a lot of times when you watch sci-fi, you're trying to figure out how many things are copying Star Wars. <laughs> like I remember Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There was um, an ep- or like a piece of it where they're slicing toast with a knife, and mm-hmm. it like it toasts it as you slice it, and it's like, well, that's obviously just a mini lightsaber. So like Star Wars ripoff. But um, no, it was really cool to like not have to have that guard up. And still get to explore a totally new universe. Like the creatures were big and fierce and kind of terrifying. And mm-hmm. this is the first I've really seen big creatures in Star Wars that were like something we really had to interact with rather mm-hmm. than just something that's already been domesticated, is being ridden, et cetera. Background. Background. Like there's absolutely. something that's in the universe, but kind of in the background. I feel and immersed now we're in learning the how to ride blurgs. You yeah. just said a giant thing right there. You said, I feel immersed in the universe. Yeah. So would you feel that this is 
this was pretty accessible. Yeah, it's a lot more immersive than I would say regular Star Wars. I feel like regular Star Wars, um, like it's. I always feel like the way people know all of the species names, etc., is that they must have played the video games or something else. Because I just don't really feel connected with that world in the way I did in this one. That although I don't know the the species names for everyone yet, I kind of get a feel for like the blue guy. I get a feel for his species. It's kind of gross. Um, like I, <laughs> right. this is the blue guy with the gills right at the beginning, who's sort of frog-like, sort mm-hmm. of fish-like, who needed to go purge his thorax in the vac tube, which is the toilet in his ship. Yeah, it was gross. It was really gross. <laughs> he said, "Sorry, it's going to be a minute. I'm molting right now." Haven't done it since the solstice. I haven't. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't evacuated my thorax and solstice. This is very funny. Anyway, so you mentioned him. You kind of got a sense of, okay, here's a species. Mm-hmm. Um, you got the big monsters, the ice monster, the blurgs. Yeah. Which were ridden across the desert. What else What else stands out at you as having immersed you in this? Um, I mean, they really. there was very light exposition. The only exposition I really got was from the blue alien guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he's rapid firing, rapid firing asking questions to the Mandalorian who answers none of those questions does not say anything to him and so like you know like do you ever take your help i heard you guys never take your helmet off and i'm like okay you know i've heard that as well um <laughs> in what little i've heard I've, I've heard they never take off their helmet so it's kind of you know it 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 makes him almost the audience insert i guess or the s- audience surrogate the blue guy yeah just initially just meeting the Mandalorian. yeah 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 uh that's a good point i wouldn't have thought about that but in the introduction of the show since you have this this very strong, silent type whose mm-hmm. face you don't get to see. The star of the show, our lead <laughs> character. Yeah. And the blue guy has <laughs> blue a guy. very um, contemporary, he uses very contemporary language. Mm-hmm. I mean, he feels like he's just some normal guy. Yeah. You know, from that you'd hang out with, that you'd have a beer with. Maybe, yeah. Uh, so they did put it in very plain language. Let's get to work here. Sure. We're judging this pilot. Yeah. Genre. <laughs> Genre being our first category. How well does it define the conventions that we can expect for the rest of the show? Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, absolutely. It's immersive, um, as we did discuss. Um, and it's Star Wars, but it's definitely a grittier Star Wars. We're not getting the pretty, shiny, polished ship. We're getting kind of more of a... The way the Firefly had the grittiness of space. Like, I really feel like they're capturing this in it. Not so much in their spaceships, but like in their universe. Um, it's like the Wild here. West. I wouldn't even call it Wild West. Like, I feel like Firefly is Wild West. And so to have that as a comparison mm. for me, I don't feel like this is Wild West at all. Mm. Um, I feel, I guess, I guess that it's, it is a bit grittier, but I still wouldn't call it Wild West, at least for me. Uh, I would, but maybe that's from seeing the rest of the show. Yeah. Based on the pilot itself, I would not yeah. categorize it as that. It's a, and uh, since we're only grading based right, on yeah. the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, and so maybe this is my, my, uh, maybe I'm compromised here. But this sure. is a gunslinging show. With, well, and I got that. Yeah, yeah for sure. With Western themes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, admittedly, we don't get any of what I'm about to say in the pilot. I'm going to throw it out there because okay. I think it's important for the show. Sure. Shogun Assassin, which is an old Japanese movie mm-hmm. about a samurai. Are you familiar with it? Nope. About a samurai who like travels with this kid and he's got to take care of this kid. Um and it's like where you cut people's arms off and it sprays red blood like in uh, Kill Bill, which is where Quentin Tarantino took his inspiration from for that. So there's infor- inspirations of Old West Gunslinger and like David Carradine Kung Fu 
and um, Shogun Assassin. So we don't get all that here. Um, but there are, like, walking into cantinas, which is a very familiar Star Wars trope. There are, you know, gunslinger things happening at yeah. the bar rooms. So I, to me, that does register as, okay, we're kind of in the Wild West here. In that the, I mean, not only in motif, but in that the uh, Empire has fallen. And yeah. they've addressed that in multiple different lines of dialogue Absolutely. in multiple different ways. The Empire's fallen. So we're in an area of the Star Trek, sorry, excuse me, Star Wars universe. <laughs> I just caught your slip. <laughs> <laughs> we're, in a, we're in a time period in the Star Wars universe we've never seen before and don't know what the conventions are. It's not about the rebellion. We don't know where the rebellion is. Yeah. The First Order's not here yet, which is just what we came out of in the most recent movies. So we have a really totally unexplored, really fun playground to be in. But I am finding the themes already that with the fall of the Empire, mm-hmm. we're in sort of a, a Wild West lawless time. I would say lawless. Yeah. The Wild West, I guess, for me is very, like, the way that that Firefly is, it's kind of a dusty type grungy. Like, it's it to me, it's, it paints the scenery, whereas this is still very sci-fi fantasy in its setting. The gunslinger part is the only part from the pilot that I'm really feeling is wild west about it. Um, And granted, the lawlessness, yes, that makes sense, but I still don't think I would call that wild west or western in general. Well, Firefly is very literal in that, right? Yeah, There's no making no bones about it. This is cowboys in space. Exactly. Um, And this lacks the cowboys. Yeah, and this one, I guess then, I'm not saying that it, you know, it it looks like, but it has style points from old westerns. Uh, you know, the gunslinger that just kind of moseying into town from elsewhere, the, the sure. quiet, mysterious guy. Yeah, I so, can see that. So there are, there are themes and motifs borrowed from, I learned the word motif from George Lucas. Yeah, you're really dropping it. Bo- well, when Star Wars <laughs> comes up, I always think about some of that stuff that I had heard him say about uh, the motifs in the various movies. Sure. But there are things that directly hearken to, but don't directly borrow from. Uh, that Western okay. movies. That helps. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like a period piece in that sense where Firefly is. Yeah, exactly. Right? So when you kept saying Wild West, I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> Westerns. Let me say Westerns then. It's got I mean, themes of Western films. American themes, yes. Western films. And so I would give it a pass if that's really what it is. Um, and like I said, if it gets more visually Western, that's not shown here in my opinion. Visually, no. Yeah, okay. Perfect. Um one other note I did put in here, um, it does seem to have some of the mild humor um, that you would see in the movies. Um, I'm thinking specifically of like when Han Solo, um, you know, had his little riffing off of Chewbacca um, and the, the amusing little tidbits between um, the droids in general, just kind of those interactions. Um, it really reminded me of that when we were watching uh, the Mandalorian interact with the bounty droid like that was very comical and it wasn't like completely like you know hard comedy but it was it was something yeah it's like this incidental humor there's these little there's these pops of wit there's Mm -hmm. these little one-liners where it's as the action continues Mm -hmm. as the story continues there's something that kind of makes you chuckle Absolutely. They never stop and beat us over the head with anything exactly. slapsticky, um, but there's just it's scattered with little bits of humor. Absolutely, I agree. 
Cool. Especially with that with the with the bounty droid. That yeah. was funny. There was a lot of little funny things in there. It I'm going to self-destruct. Don't do that. No, don't self-destruct. Canceling self-destruct at the very end of it all. Like, and he was still going to self-destruct, you idiot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'd give it a pass on the genre. Okay. I, I think it would have been hard to miss on that. Like, they would have had to make a Star Wars thing that was like, yeah, we really don't know where we're going with this. Mm -hmm. It seems to know what it is, even though I don't necessarily know what it is yet. But I'm having a pretty easy time accepting kind of the terms, the conventions they're laying out for us of what they want us to, how they want us to feel about this world or, you know, being immersed in this world. I kind of understand where we're at and what it's going to be about. Um, yeah, so... On to characters, then. And this is a very slim section. On to character, then. <laughs> I was like, I said the word right. Mandalorian, our... Prime character? Our, maybe only? Yeah, pretty much at this point. The only named character at this point. The only character that has more than his name written on our character note cards. Yeah, I actually, uh, based on your other note cards, I um, did some, you know, research on the internet. But I do not feel like any of this was fully given. Um, So I'm just going to read off what else I have because they're one-liners, basically. (laughs) Um, So the guy, the I have spoken guy, as you had him on your card, is called, and I'm going to butcher this, the, the way you say it, Kill? Kill? K-U-I-I-L. Um, I imagine he comes in handy and becomes a bigger part of the show. Quill? Quill. Oh, yeah. No, no. That makes the most sense, actually. Mm-hmm. Why they wouldn't use a W, um, just, you know. Um, and then the other one that you put was played by Carl Weathers is Grief Karga. And he's the guy who did the who put out the emis- initial commission for the bounties. Oh, that's Grief Karga. Mm-hmm. They mentioned him. I didn't know who that was. Okay, Grief Karga. So he's the one who refers him to the people who are going to pay more he's for the, the broker. bounty. Yeah. He's the brownie broker. The Mandalorian is a guild member, which I don't know that we'd ever known about the guild before. Always yeah. been man- always been uh, bounty hunters in Star Wars. Sure. But he's part of a guild of bounty hunters. They mm-hmm. pay guild rates. There's certain um, like rules that they need to follow and whatever. So Grief Karga is the broker that he goes to to get his commissions from to go bounty hunt. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the other one you had was Dr. Pershing. Um, and the only note I made about him is that um, the guy that you labeled bad guy, which I didn't look up his name because that wasn't <laughs> – lot for me to go on for research sorry <laughs> um anyway the the guy had initially the bad guy quote unquote mm-hmm. um had said that you know you get you if you bring back proof of termination that we can still pay you just you know a lesser bounty and dr pershing had said that hey like we didn't talk about that that's so clearly he wants the asset to be kept intact and alive um which was interesting well, you yeah. don't get more on that. Yeah, you had Dr. Pershing who came in to a meeting with the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. several stormtroopers who are keeping guard in this room, you know, Unnamed. like a warehouse kind of <laughs> yeah. warehouse kind of room. The bad guy, the creepy older guy who says, I understand that bounty hunting is a complicated profession. So if the asset does not come back alive, you will still be paid a smaller sum. No, that's not what I meant. So it seems that with Dr. Pershing, which, yeah. <laughs> like you said, no, yeah. no, we didn't agree on we that. We didn't talk about that, yeah. So Dr. Pershing seems to be pretty earnest. I mean, he walks in, gets the Mando's gun gets pulled on him because he interrupts this meeting. Mando's a little bit jumpy, I think, understandably, because yeah. that's his line of work. He says, I'm so sorry for interrupting. 
So Dr. Pershing seems to be a pretty sincere guy. He seems to be a science-minded guy. There is a the asset, a 50-year-old something-something that they got to get, and we don't know more than that. Here's your key fob. Yeah. Um, and yet you got the older guy, the bad guy, uh, who, <laughs> <laughs> who seems pretty much like down to business. Yeah, absolutely. And he seems to be a relic of the... Uh, Empire. I mean, you have the stormtroopers there, which the Empire's fallen. Mm -hmm. So he's going to pay the Mandalorian in Beskar steel, Mm -hmm. which seems to be a pretty special hot commodity right now. Yeah. Uh, Mando had picked up his payment from uh, Carl Weathers earlier, who, (laughs) by the way, Carl Weathers, who played Apollo and he was in in, uh, Rocky. And he was he was a classic like '80s actor, and he looks great. He always looks great, that guy. And he doesn't work like all the time, all the time, but he always pops up in things here and there. And he's always such a pleasure to see him. I'm always so excited to see that he's like alive and happy and healthy and working (laughs) and like looking like a rock star still. I love that guy. Um, And to show up in Star Wars and have like a consistent thing to do, it's like I just love that everybody gets to hang out with Carl Weathers now. So anyway, that being said, <laughs> when he tries to pay the Mandalorian earlier, he, he says, these are Imperial credits. And he goes, yeah, they still spend. And he says, like, there is no empire. Like, I'm not going to accept this as currency yeah. because this is an old dead currency. Which is nice because it really sets kind of the time period for this. Like, for as much as I give Star Wars shit for making me have to read a scrolling marquee at the beginning of every movie... I almost wanted one for this just to know where we're, like where we're falling into the Star Wars universe, but that really helped to kind of set timing-wise in the timeline where we're at and what's going on. See, that's important. That's why we opened this show with the scrolling marquee. <laughs> our podcast, <laughs> our non-visual podcast, yes. Well, we still <laughs> had it, okay? Yep, it they was They didn't. Um, <laughs> so... So, yeah, that tells us a lot about where we're at, and it tells you a lot about the conventions of the universe because the thing that I had put on my card was that the Mandalorian seems pretty down on his luck. He's got an old ship. Yeah. He's taken half payment. Uh, his armor is not Beskar. His helmet is. Um, so there's... And it sounds like the cost of fuel is quite a bit. Yeah. So to do these bounties, he's you know, there was at one point the guy, Grief Karga, had said, oh, you know, like I have a 5,000 credit bounty. And he goes, oh, that barely covers the cost of fuel yeah. these days. Because he says, he says something about how either Karga says to Mando or Mando says to Karga that Mando's expensive. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, you're too expensive or something like that. Like, yeah. Though they don't want to pay guild rates is what he said. Okay. So we're kind of operating. This is an older order of things that is trying to find its new way of existing and its new way of doing business. And it makes me realize that the empire, uh, I think based on what they're providing to us, provided at least a certain stability. You know, there was a, a ruling authority in the empire. Now, everywhere we've gone so far in this, like it's it's in every, every um, planet we go to is in some kind of state of disarray or chaos. You know, I have spoken, Nick Nolte. Um, <laughs> he says, you know, there's there's not peace here. People come here for peace, like solve the problem so the, so we can have our peace back. Yeah. You've got the thing with the... it's drawing so many bounty hunters. Right. With the guild rates. And it's like, it's a pretty lawless time, which is where I say the Western, you know, yeah, moti- the American Western film motifs are at. Sure. Um, so anyway, where I'm going with this is when the when the bad guy says to him, 
we're, we're going to pay you in Beskar steel. So anyway, this mm-hmm. is like... Uh, and this is just a deposit. Yeah, like exactly. Like Apollo said, this is... <laughs> grief Karga. Grief Karga says, uh, these guys have deep pockets. This one's going to pay well. Mm-hmm. Direct payment, like no broker fees, whatever that was. Um, and he says to him when he pays him the down payment or the, po- the deposit... He says it's good to have Beskar steel back with the Mandalorian because this is the source of the Beskar steel. And he says, so nice to have something like returning to its natural order in the galaxy or the universe or whatever he says. Which I thought, I thought that said a lot about who this guy is. This guy is an imperial relic who's an imperial, like he's to the bone, to the core, He's an imperial guy, and the Empire, it's still working, although they've fallen or have been defeated in battle. They are still working to restore what they consider the proper order of the galaxy, in which they are, oh, I don't know, the first order of the galaxy. So they want order back. And I thought that said a whole lot from that one line about their intentions, yeah, their Yeah, that's ambitions. why you put him in quote, he's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> they I, want the Empire back, it seems. It's a big deal. Who else we got? Yeah, we've got we've got the bounty droid. Yeah, right. The uh, bounty well, the bounty hunter droid. Yes. I think they call them a bounty droid, right? Yeah, they call them a bounty droid. To simplify for our millions of listeners, the bounty hunter droid that he runs into. <laughs> it's hard to say. Like the whole thing's just hard to say. Yeah. Who's really funny? Really great special effects too. Yeah. Um. Of all of the special effects, I would say that one was really good. The ones that they did for I Have Spoken were. Oh, really bad. (laughs) Like, not in the same vein as normal Star Wars production, in my opinion. Like, it looked very... The mouth movement looked so mechanical, and there wasn't enough lifelike structure to it. It just... It really took me out of it. I'm going to give them credit there, because (laughs) I haven't seen... You know, since the world has moved to digital effects... Yeah. Ordinarily, that would have been practical, I think. I'm not a filmmaker. Um but I was almost a physical therapist. Uh, that's a hilarious, <laughs> that's a hilarious joke for my friend Ashley, who's listening, obviously. <laughs> I just like the rest of the country. Um, <laughs> no, no, that would ordinarily, I think been, uh, him moving his mouth with no mouth movements at all. Mm-hmm. And then maybe also doing a digital piece on top of that to mm-hmm. make it look like an actual mouth. But they went with pure practical effects, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. And I thought, thought it was kind of a love letter to the fans who grew up with the original Star Wars okay. films sure. to see not everything being digital all the time, which turned a lot of people off in the mm. episodes one, two, and three. I didn't so know that. I think it was actually probably a very impressive practical effect in which as he's speaking, somebody, I would think, somebody else must be running the animatronics of the mouth. Yeah. So we had an animatronic mouth with all of the makeup, which I don't think I've seen that level of animatronic work among the makeup. So it was 100% practical effects, which I thought was applaudable. But not well executed, in my opinion. Like, it really made this not a real creature at all to me. Like, this was very much... It was not cohesive to me within everything else. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Because everything else seemed like a really good production value. Like the, what do you call them? The Bergs? Blurgs? The Blurgs. The Blurgs. Like, those looked really good. And the huge creature that was very Loch Ness-like, you know, under the ice was also, like, it just, you know, it had a life to it. Um, yeah. Whereas, yeah, this this guy did not, like, you know, ah, nah, nah. <laughs> like, he looked <laughs> like a ventriloquist stall. <laughs> 
Well, I guess I'm surprised that I don't feel like I've ever seen. You'd think at this in this era of filmmaking that they would have tackled that and conquered that a long time ago. Yeah. It's like, wow, there are still limitations, huh? Like in all these years, there are still limitations in what we could do and make it look totally real. Because if you do it digitally, then it looks digital. And then people bitch that it looks digital despite how good it looks digital. Mm -hmm. So they went 100% practical. And I agree. I thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah. I maybe don't understand. I think I I understand the thought behind it, I think. But, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, I'm uh, not a... Not a physical. Ther- I'm not a um, <laughs> filmmaker <laughs> or a physical therapist. I guess I just want to make sure. I, I'm pretty sure that whoever conceived that, mm-hmm. I got to think that that was a pretty impressive undertaking. Oh sure. And, and a shame. Being a practical effect. Yeah. Yes. And a shame to hear that even as impressive as it was, it just wasn't good enough to it feel was out believable. Of place. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> I suppose I, I'm not. Down like marking off this uh, character for that, you know, I don't he was blame obviously you. good. And you know, when I was looking up his name, it sounds like a lot of people consider him to be their favorite character in the series. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I could see like he he seems like a an interesting character. <laughs> that the I have spoken thing was just hilarious. Oh, you just stepped <laughs> on my hilarious punchline. I was gonna say something and end with I have spoken, and then we were gonna move on. Uh, so let's move on. Sorry, I, I have it. spoken. Well, I still tried to shoehorn it in there. Oh, good. That's good. <laughs> uh, characters. Even though there's... Oh, okay. Then there's maybe one more. Okay. Who we meet at the very, very end. Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. Yeah, which I don't... I still don't count him as a character. So, like, made an appearance, but, like, minimal screen time. Yeah, I agree. Where else would we have commented on him? Sure. Uh, in hook or plot, I would say. <laughs> in quotes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so really quick before we move on from The Mandalorian, um, yeah. I recognized his voice. He is voiced by Pedro Pascal, who I did not know the name offhand, um, but he's in Game of Thrones as Oberyn Martell, which, like, he had a really impressive fight scene and death scene. Like, I definitely remember, if nothing else, that. With the mountain, for anybody who's forgotten, mm-hmm. in, in a, uh, <laughs> what do they call it, uh, trial by combat. I believe so, yeah. he steps in for Tyrion Lannister for a trial by combat. Or maybe we're given trivia like we did on Sabrina and it was all wrong. Um. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds to be... uh, I don't know. It seemed like a personal vendetta, so I don't know. Um, (laughs) Vendetta. (laughs) Well, no, because I told you that um, based on that little piece where he's, you know, versus the mountain, um, he was kind of doing the, you know, you killed my sister and her family, prepare to die. (laughs) So it felt like a very personal piece for him. You're right. I thought you were talking about I was on a personal vendetta to prove something oh. right on Sabrina. <laughs> it's oh. like, okay. Shots fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. So he goes all um, Inigo Montoya on the mountain and gets cocky and gets his skull crushed. Yeah. So I think I would say that's what he's most famous from. I'm sure I've seen yeah, him in 40 other things. And it's weird because, but yeah, I, I his accent you know he actually has an accent in game of thrones so i'm like that clearly can't be the thing i recognize him from but that was you know something i've seen him in so (laughs) the closest thing i had he just has a very familiar voice to him uh i didn't necessarily find it familiar but i Mm -hmm. found it very unique every time you know you hear his voice with the helmet on through you know a digital amplification that they do to it i mean it's his vocal tone but they you know, they obviously doctor it, so it sounds yeah, like it's coming out mechanically through. It's coming out mechanically through the helmet, but 
there's something about that voice and there's something about the way he uses it as an actor that just pierces through the scenes for me. Yeah. There's very little affect on it. It's always down here. And he just kind of talks low yeah. and slow and steady. And, uh, and it really it really captures my attention mm-hmm. every time. Like it's Absolutely. a really, it's a really, I, not familiar necessarily to me because I couldn't place it, but it's very unique and you identify it as, whoa, who's talking? I got to pay attention right now. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think another reason it really stands out is he doesn't speak very much. In fact, I feel like he speaks as little as actually possible. Like, <laughs> Yeah, there's one character in this show. And he has the fewest lines out of all the characters. Yeah, it was like if they're paying for a line, like he's getting a bum deal. So, <laughs> um, I so, did note, uh, make another note that um, when he had his original bouncy, um, and I only know that this is kind of important because I watched the tiniest clip um, of something when I got home. Um, Taylor was watching it with his friend, um, and I just seen the tiniest clip. But the no droids comment. You know, when he comes, you know, there's like a taxi of sorts to take him somewhere. And, you know, there's like a little R2-D2 looking little guy in there. And he's like, no droids. And so he he hails basically another cab, um, for lack of a better term, um, that doesn't have a droid to move them to his ship. With that guy, that comedian whose name I can't remember and I'm not going to bother trying. Okay. um, (laughs) Because I don't know it. uh, Who, a a recognizable comedian to me, who's the guy who picks him up on the next uh, speed cruiser. Okay. Gets killed and eaten by the ice monster almost immediately. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he's like, <laughs> I wouldn't stay on the ice or something. Like, keep off the ice. And it's funny because the blue guy is just like, huh? Oh, how seriously do you think we should take that? Oh, like what? What do you think he means by that? And all of a sudden, you see him in the distance being like eaten by something from under the ice, and it just takes all of his ship. And he's just like, ah, ah, let's get open out the of hatch, here. open the hatch. <laughs> exactly. This yeah. is his, his bounty hunter, his kidnapper, basically that he's <laughs> was resisting a minute ago, saying, "No, no, no, can I come with you? Open the hatch, open the hatch, uh, open the hatch." And the creature, like, not only does he break through the ice, he breaks through the ice. Like, yeah. like there's a lot of ice. There's a ship parked safely on the ice and it crashes through like tremendous amounts of ice to mm-hmm. gobble up this speed cruiser a crazy amount yeah yeah uh and that was basically the opener i mean the opener yeah. was the first gl- gunslinger scene and then i think they did kind of the cold open with the logo and mm-hmm. then we get to you know this stuff where we're getting back to the ship and it's desolate and beautiful and really like an impressive piece of television to look at yeah on um, kind of funny so I mean, that was a great opener, I thought. I agree, yeah. Um, Something else I kind of noticed just because it felt very Firefly-esque for Mm me um, was when he was like, oh, this is a classic ship. What is this, a Razor Crust? And I was like, oh, this feels like, oh, this is a Firefly-class ship. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this felt like because they're, you know, mostly out of commission. Yeah, (laughs) pre-Empire. Exactly. So I really enjoyed that. Um, Yeah, I think that's mainly – oh, and you you definitely get the vibe that – Mando or the Mandalorian um, is very skilled at what he does because when he's having that meeting um, with Dr. Pershing and the bad guy, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, at one point it looks like there's going to be kind of a standoff and he's like four to one. I like these odds. And I'm like, ah, cocky. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I like pretty... that you like these odds. This is <laughs> going to be exciting. Exactly. Yeah. So I kind of enjoyed that. 
Um, I guess that's all I really have on him, though. Did we talk enough about Quill? We mentioned him several times. I don't know that we got directly into Quill's character. No, I'm definitely happy to get into him a bit. Because um, I only mainly have quotes from him. Yeah, he's pretty quotable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's the guy. He goes to the planet with the fob that the bad guy gave him to go get the asset, which is some 50-year-old person thing. Uh, that That's all we know about him. Preferably we want him alive. Kill him if you have to. Yeah. Uh, so this is a pretty this is a pretty desirable person that we're after. Yeah, person of interest who mm-hmm. 50 years old is, you know, the, <laughs> supposed to be a key marker on this. Right. Uh, and we go to the planet where mm-hmm. the fob takes him to, and he meets Quill, who says after, oh, Quill saves him from getting blurred. Uh, and then, yeah, two yeah. of the big beastie things, which he later has to learn how to ride, which I will say that one also felt very visually Western. So I'll give you points there. Breaking a horse. Yeah, because he's in like what looks like a round pin. Um, and yeah, it's absolutely the breaking the spirit of the horse sort of mm-hmm. scene, like break him in. Mm-hmm. That was very interesting. I did feel like um, his suddenly, you know, cowboying up, if we're going to lean into the, <laughs> the Western idea, um, him cowboying up and like suddenly being able to ride it was kind of ridiculous that it was just like what was the mythological beast that, or the the mythosaur the mythosaur oh that's why i'm thinking yeah you know you got it for sure <laughs> the mythosaur yeah that you know uh mandalorians of old uh used to ride the mythosaurs he's like oh buck up cowboy you guys used to do this and so he's like oh all right hops on just fine well i think i'll give it it was silly and we made mm-hmm. fun of it while it happened uh, I think the the point was, however however well it was conveyed, yeah. he says, I don't have time for this. Like, I okay. don't want to learn how to write a freaking blurg, yeah. bro. Like, because he gets to the planet, he gets his butt saved by Quill. Quill says, you're a bounty hunter, right? Yeah, you're a, you're a bounty hunter. Yes. And he goes, I'll help you. I've spoken. And that's it. And it was very yeah. simple. And he was saying, and, you know, we mentioned this already. Like, well, why would you, why are you helping me? And he said, uh-huh. because what I heard about you guys, you guys are fighters. You're going to get the job done, lickety split real quick, like. And uh, and then we could go back to doing our thing here. Like, I don't know who the asset is. I don't know what this operation is here. But as soon as they came, they disrupted the peace that all of us retirees came to the planet to be ranchers and to ride blurgs and yeah. whatever. It'd be, and live remote. Um so we just want our prosperity back. Will you please just make these problems go away? I will help anybody who comes here to make these problems go away. So he's not the first person he helped. Um, so he's a very salt-of-the-earth guy, I guess. He doesn't have any ulterior motives. He refuses mm-hmm. payment. He just wants the half of the blurgs. Uh, and Mando does not want a blurg. So he's being helped out by this guy who, it's like he doesn't want to learn his ways. He doesn't understand the help that he's trying to give him. Yeah. The guys that he's helped in the past, everybody croaked. So he doesn't want his help necessarily. He's <laughs> confident and competent to do this himself. Uh, and then in this moment of, I don't want to learn how to write a blurg. Do you have a speed cruiser? Do you have some kind of craft? And the answer is no. Of course it's going to be no. It's like, no, there's a way that we do things here. We're, we're old school. We're traditionalists. We don't have that stuff. You cannot get there yourself. Stop being impatient. Stop being a punk ass. Your ancestors, <laughs> your people rode the mythosaur. So you're trying to tell me right now, just because you're stubborn and impatient, that you don't want to do this. Like yeah. You don't want to like dig a little bit deeper into it. And I feel like it puts him in his place and it centers him in a way that's kind of embarrassing. And it's yeah. like, okay, fine. I got it. Just take the time. Yeah. I'm just being stubborn and not wanting to do it. And I'm, and I am, uh, I am performing below the top of my, uh, abilities. 
Yeah. So let me go tap into this thing and really kind of had to like connect on an emotional level to wanting to succeed in this thing and, and connect emotional level to the beast. Yeah. Yes, it was a real horse whisperer type moment totally. where he's like, easy, easy, settle. And then he like rubs between the eyes and I was like, man, I swear I saw this on the horse whisperer. Right. <laughs> like, um, it, it did feel rushed that he was so easily able to ride, but I honestly don't know if I would have rather seen like a montage of him being bucked off multiple times. So we like, spent a month here learning how to write a blurg. Exactly. So like, while I felt like it was like, all right, well let's quickly off to the next thing. Like, I don't know that I would right. want to spend the time on it anyway. So like knowing that he had to learn this thing, you know, that it is a different way of life. It, it definitely gets the point across, but I did find it interesting and kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> it is absolutely something we made fun of though. Well, you, and you said, yeah, I don't, not sure the blurg speaks English there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, he's like, settle, <laughs> settle, settle. And he didn't say it in like a calming enough voice that I felt like it was, you know, like with you, what you do with a horse where you're like, easy. Like, but you like with, with horses, you pick words that intend to oh, oh, like very throaty. Uh-huh. And like when you say settle, I'm just like, that just doesn't have that quality to settle. it. Settle. There's a Settle. reason why we say whoa and not stop to horses. Like there's a reason <laughs> for it. It's the voice. It's the cadence. It's a whoa. Mm. Uh, I thought it was because <laughs> there's no pop filters. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't feel like they respond to like the P's and the T's. Stop they really them. don't. They don't respond to pops. Yeah. <laughs> it's the oh, oh there. So, you know, it was, I. it functioned for its purpose it in the plot and the story mm-hmm. and for the character. <laughs> It's still sci-fi. It's still people walking around wearing rubber heads. It's still silly. Like, it's some pretty silly stuff. That was silly. What we're going for in the story, I thought it was effective. I I guess I get where they were going. Absolutely. Which is the Mandalorians have a deep history. They're capable of tremendous things. And they're even kind of connected to, you know, to to the creatures around them. Although you would think it because they're just spread off of violence. Yeah, so it was another subtle little piece of exposition there. Yeah. Giving some history without without the scrolling marquee. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, he takes him, and he, meaning Quill, takes Mando to the location where there's a, um, I don't know, what would you call this? A fortress of sorts? A yeah, a fortress. Laboratory, a, a, an installment. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes him there, and that's where he's getting ready to make his move to, to figure out how to craftily... Oh, yeah, he's trying to figure out, plot his way in. Yeah, get into the place and and get the <laughs> asset and get out. And then the the droid shows up. The uh, Bounty droid. Yeah, the bounty droid shows up. And there was the writ of seizure, which I thought was a fun thing to introduce into the Star Wars <laughs> yeah. universe and into the lexicon. The writ of seizure, which is, I guess, what guild members need to say when they are seizing the asset. And he goes in there, guns blazing, <laughs> like, let me have it. I will have him now. <laughs> like, that's his programming is to be very uh, in ineloquent, right? Yeah. So we're just going to go in there. Like, there's a by-the-book way to do this. Just give me. Give me now. <laughs> and this exactly. is an imperial installment, right? So big standoff ensues. And then there's Mando up on the hill trying to do these craftily, like, oh, Dude, seriously? <laughs> they both think they're the only bounty hunters sent there. Mm-hmm. The droid is sent to kill. Yeah. So I wonder if somebody else sent him there. Must, yeah, must that's have been the point. case. Well, I mean, it's hard to say because even in the room where mm-hmm. he, you know, he got the original commission, uh, he being the Mandalorian, got the commission to go, you know, seek this bounty. Um, it seemed like the the parties in that room were not 
on the same page as right. far as what they wanted because you know dr pershing did not want him terminated but it seemed like the guy who was you know quote unquote bad guy he didn't care kill him if you need to well there was definitely yes all true mm-hmm. and, and there was definitely i guess the droid and mando finding out there was two uh bounty hunters bounty hunters sent uh-huh. And they decide, okay, let's do this together and we'll split the commission. Yeah. And the uh, robot says, the droid says, acceptable. Um, with the caveat? With the caveat that he gets all the credit for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, Which is hilarious coming from a droid. Like, I just didn't what's understand he care? it. Yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, do droids suddenly care about their reputation? Everybody's going to know my face. I'm going to be a national hero. I'm a BTX designs. <laughs> <laughs> Straight yeah, out of Tatooine, <laughs> I tell you, before the Dark Ages. Um, <laughs> but they have competing directives. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that they were both told alive or dead. Mm-hmm. The droid was specifically told dead. Um, Mando yeah, was specifically absolutely. told alive. If he comes back dead, we understand that. You but know, it's bounty hunting's bit, yeah, yeah, bounty hunting's a complex profession. Less valuable, but we still need it. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to be mad at you if he comes back dead. It's just going to be... That's a good point. There's an incentive. Yeah, there's an incentive to bring him back alive. That's sure. not what the droid heard. Yeah. He heard, kill that little bastard. Um, so I don't know. That's interesting. I don't... In fact, I don't even remember if we kind of come back to that. Who sent the droid? Or why yeah. did they get two different directives? Interesting. Yeah, mm. definitely. The plot thickens. We're stumbling into plot clearly. Yeah, absolutely. Characters, what are your... What's your score? Um, it gives a pass, although I will give that pass with the caveat that we're only interest, introduced to the Mandalorian, which he's great, but there is no, no, no expectation of who should be seen in the next one. So, you know, like I, I didn't make the note cards that you did because I'm like, uh, do, will, blue we guy. See, will we see these fools again? Like yeah. blue guy, I would guess not, you know, like he was a bounty who introduced us to, you know. To the Mandalorian, but otherwise, like, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm going to be seeing him again. He's caught. Boom, stamp, check, next. Mm-hmm. Um, Cryogenically frozen. <laughs> exactly. And sent off to whoever his bounty holder was. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, to me, like, I, I don't even know if I should expect to see the people who commissioned the bounty again. I mean, at this point, I suppose maybe because they'll probably be, you know... We'll probably see him when we drop off the bounty, assuming that that's what's going to happen with said asset. Is the one character interesting enough, and I'm going to add one more thing that I feel like we missed. Sure. Is we start to get a little bit of uh, Mandalorian mythology here Mm -hmm. when he goes to the woman Mandalorian who seems to be a mystic of sorts. She seems to be sort of an authority figure, like a priest who kind of holds down the, the... the church of, of sorts. Oh, I didn't like, get that feel for her. Um, well, I thought it, she was just an armory. She's working the location. Okay. We're at yeah, the yeah, location. Yeah. And I might be jumping ahead because sure. there's no other person that appears to have that role. Yeah. She, as we go along through the series, she appears to have that. So okay. sorry to spoil that. But <sighs> she you. has some kind of job at the place mm-hmm. where the Mandalorians go to gather as what she calls a tribe. Okay. And it says, it's great that we have this Beskar steel. 
and it's very generous of you to let the drippings, the re- the rem- remnants of it that we just made him a new shoulder piece of armor yeah. for, you're going to let the rest of that go toward the foundlings. He said he used to be a foundling, so he was a little kid somewhere in a war that did a couple flashbacks as a child, helmetless. Yeah, um, very vague snippets. Yeah, seems to be a foundling to me. I'm going to I'm gonna guess is an orphan, that he was orphaned by war in that situation yeah, and found by the too. Mandalorians and raised as a Mandalorian. Um, whatever that means, right? Sure. So she seems to be somebody who's actually at the location where they gather. Um, and she's the only one we see in that regard. That's not enough. She's sort of a like a, a plot artifact to me right now, more than a character. Absolutely. So I, I, you know, I don't reference her as a character, but it uh-huh. tells us, it informs us about his character. Uh, yeah, so it really offers a lot of depth to the only character we really get. Right. So that being said, mm-hmm. for the only character we really get, and I'm going to just reframe this a little bit differently. Okay. Is this one character that we have any reason to feel that we, you know, owe a connection to? Is that character interesting enough to you that you would come back to want to know what happens next to him? Yeah, and I give it a pass for him. Okay. Yeah. I I do too, but for the same reasons, I give it a really unconfident pass. Yeah, because who knows how the others will be. Yeah, I'm fine that it's not an ensemble piece, Mm -hmm. but the rest of the characters are so weak that I I don't know at this point if we see Carl Weathers again. I hope we do. I think we would because in my mind, he's he's a big big star. Yeah. but, uh, you know, you got, you got, I remember reading that Nick Nolte plays Quill. And while we're on that really quick tangent, uh-huh. um, one reason that I did get kind of excited about watching Mandalorian in general is that I know that the gal who plays Starbuck, which I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Katie Sackoff. Thank you. Um, so from Battlestar, loved her. She's my favorite character. I, I have a painting of her. Like, she's amazing. Um... I heard she's in like in the cast and she also does the voice acting for the same character in like an animated series. So yeah. I was really excited to see her. And then another um, actress that I recognized in the tiny clip that I saw when Taylor was watching um, was the gal who plays Agent May in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, I was really excited about it. I don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't know her the actress's name off the top of my head. Um, I can probably look that up. But uh, Katie Sackhoff's character is in season two. I think she's great in it. Um, like I said, I wasn't a huge, giant fan of season one. Season two starts to give you a lot more faces that you get excited to see. Um, so it's Ming-Na Wen. Uh, I think I know who she is, and I think it's season two. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So so you start getting a couple more people mm-hmm. uh, in season two, but that you're like a, kind of excited to engage with. Um, in this one... I, uh, I, you know, I'm interested enough in his character to want to know more about Absolutely. his character. But it's a so I pass the characters. Definitely, part. it it is it an is unconfident pass. pass because because you know you look at Carl Weathers, you look at Nick Nolte. It's like there's some names that I know, so I assume they're going to yeah. be in it. But these are guys who like like the the peak of their star power isn't necessarily right now. So I don't know if yeah. if that's something to cling to or if that is isn't it cool that Carl Weathers was in Star Wars? Mm-hmm. Isn't it cool Nick Nolte was in yeah, Star Wars? Yeah, like a cameo that might bring, you know, some yeah. fans to it, but not why you would keep coming back necessarily. Right. So I don't even have a, a feeling that those guys are going to be back. Yeah. So I really have no idea who the characters are. And I guess it's it's a subversion of expectations because yeah. the classic Star Wars is you kind of, you got your, your uh, trio. You know, you got Luke, Leia, Han Solo, 
Chewbacca. I know that's more than a trio, but Chewbacca doesn't have, <laughs> Chewbacca any, doesn't have dialogue, any speaking right? lines. <laughs> <laughs> Chewbacca's there for the kids. Um, so you got the chemistry between these three, though, right? And you don't have any such thing going on in this, and it's very non-Star Wars in that way. So maybe it's exactly as planned. Yeah. And this I would come back to classic American westerns, where you got the wandering hero, yeah. the, the silent strong type. Maybe that's all there is to it. But damn, like I'm interested because he's mysterious and because, you know, he's Pedro Pascal and he's enough of a name that you think he's going to want to show his face in the show. But I ain't seeing it. And this is some pretty weird shit. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I think it benefits from the weirdness. So definitely. Give it a pass. So definitely. Well, and he just seems like a very well fleshed out character, like the one that we know for sure we're going to keep getting. Yeah. So. And he is mysterious enough that it's like, I need, are we going to see his face? Yeah, I don't think Are we, we going to know more about him? <laughs> I don't think we'll ever see his face. That's well, my guess. That's what they Maybe say. Maybe like final episode <laughs> when they know for sure they're going to get rid of it. But <laughs> Which brings us to plot. What plot. is the plot? Does, does the pilot inform you the plot that we can expect for the rest of the series? Um, ish. Okay. So I have like a thought on what I would imagine it to be, but like, I do not know with any certainty what it's going to be. I do have the general vibe that, you know, he's, his whole deal is bringing in wanted fugitives or maybe just wanted people period. And they don't necessarily have to be fugitives. Um, but baby Yoda being the asset that he was supposed to uh, not terminate, but you know, uh, bring in up. or kill. Yeah. Bring in or kill. Um, and that moment of connection, which I, it's getting me into hook, honestly, where That's he cool. like the baby Yoda reaches out his fingers and, you know, it's very much like a parent like moment. And he just killed the, the, uh, bounty droid that he collaborated with to come in. And he was seemingly trying to like actually wanting to split the bounty on it. So it seemed like he was being pretty honest in that, but very immediately protective of this asset. So I kind of wonder if he's going to continue, like maybe he's going to diverge from this plan of turning in the asset. I'm just going to keep calling him an asset. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think he's going to diverge from that and not feel like this is on the up and up. Like, hey, you guys might want to kill him. Like, this thing's kind of adorable for 50 years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's got that sort of reverse Benjamin Button disorder. <laughs> what am I looking at? I don't know, but his eyes are precious. Oh, my God. Everything about him is precious. That little, like, bassinet or whatever. Oh, my God. The floating eggshell thing that he lives in, that he's housed in. See, that's a very Shogun Assassin thing, too, because I feel like he's always pulling the kid on some, like, bamboo basket deal. Yeah, well, and it's weird because, like, I went into this knowing that everyone thinks Baby Yoda is so cute. Like, that's one of the few things I knew about the show is that everyone loves Baby Yoda, and I really did not expect to be, like, pulled by that at all. But the way they presented Baby Yoda, where it's just like, this is the 50-year-old asset, and I'm like, boop, 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 he's so cute. Don't kill him. <laughs> you got me. I'm sorry. Like, I've seen pictures of him. He wasn't that cute. The yeah, he's disgusting. Very cute. He's disgusting. But in that scene, he was adorable. Like, I got it. I totally got it in that scene. I was like, oh, okay. Certainly more than the sum of his parts. He's disgusting. <laughs> uh, no, I think he's adorable, too. But sure. Especially, like you said, in his little basket thing and the big yeah. eyes. And the just. Yeah. And he's just more adorable as it goes along, too. Uh, and very funny at times. But the, uh, I think you're right to, to blur plot and hook because, mm -hmm. you know, if we ended with here's a character, mm -hmm. we bring him in. You know, the 50-year-old the asset is just a character. Yeah. 
and we get him and bring him back, uh, then you're then I would think maybe okay, this is going to be kind of an episodic thing about Absolutely. a bounty hunter. And damn, that was sort of a lot of work. Like for all the the mystery that they're sort of setting up around for all the weirdness of this, for yeah. all the uniqueness of this series. Is this it? Like, is this going to be all there is? And then they subvert expectations with, wait a second, here's this little creature. It's clearly uh, whatever Yoda species is. Yeah. That. Um, 50 years old, it's a baby. Okay, it would make sense. I could logic that Yoda might have been 200 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and however, uh, most importantly, he's looking at the droid, the bounty droid, who pulls his gun up and says, we were told to kill the asset. He's mm-hmm. about to kill... Uh, Baby Yoda, he blasts, Mando blasts the droid instead. You're right. He was ready to, he was going to make do on his word to let's split this. He didn't kill him to take the whole commission. He killed him because something is awry here Mm -hmm. that did not meet his expectations. Absolutely. And he was not about to let that happen because he's a man of integrity. So we learn about him right in that last minute there. Absolutely. As a bounty hunter, as a man of violence, he's a man of integrity. And destroying a droid, which he doesn't like droids anyway, mm-hmm. is a pretty easy thing to do uh, and risk even possibly that commission yeah. in order to figure out what's going on with mm-hmm. who's the target, why do they want him. Yeah. And uh, and program roll credits. Yeah. That's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That hooked me. Like, yeah. I, if it had just been, you know, hey, here's the dude and it's an episodic thing, it's not that I would dislike it. I just wouldn't be as interested. You wouldn't be hooked. Sure. Absolutely. The hook was the hook. I mean, it was a very clear hook. Yeah. The plot, I feel like, is maybe informed by that hook. So I feel like both would be a pass if if my assumptions are correct. Yeah. So if if... If this led us to believe that this were an episodic, which was just an yeah. example we gave, and there's no other reason to discuss it, then that's what we already brought up. Yeah. But if we felt that this was an episodic, you come back to it and think, okay, well, I could come back for more Star Wars. Sure, yeah. I could come back for more bounty hunter stories. More yeah. immersive universe. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I like the universe. The yeah. character's kind of cool. I could maybe there's sort of a character arc that we'll see over sure. time. And then you see this instead, and it makes me think, okay... So the plot will probably be, to some degree or another, the the passing of the football, which is, you know, Baby Yoda, the, the uh, what do they call it? The uh, MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got, it's probably not going to be a MacGuffin because it's a character, but you got this sort of MacGuffin-y thing going on uh, within the plot. Like, we go to get, yeah, we go to get the thing. We've achieved the thing. Mm-hmm. The thing is not what we've expected it to be. People still want the thing. Now he's maybe not going to want to give up the thing because it clearly looks, the way they touch fingers at the end, a thing that he's going to make an emotional bond with and want to yeah. protect now. So uh, that's complicated. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To, to bad guy's credit. <laughs> I love that that's Bounty hunting, that yeah. Bounty hunting is a complicated profession. You know, it's funny. Yeah. That guy's probably a classically trained Shakespearean actor who deserves so much more credit than more we're giving him just by calling him yeah. bad guy. We'll correct it on Maybe I'll put comments. it in the show notes. We'll we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. You just didn't have that big of a part. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's long form storytelling. We, yeah. We just look at the pilot. We just got the pilot. <laughs> if we ever do, which we won't, if we ever do a Mandalorian podcast, <laughs> you bet we'll call you out by name. <laughs> Whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So then uh, plot, mm-hmm. the way it sets up the plot. Yep. You're, you think you get it. Yeah, it I think I got it. Seems pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And you kind of want to know more, yep. which leads to the hook, yep. which means you pass both hook 
and plot. Check, check. Check, check. Character was a pass. Uh, genre was pretty clear. Uh, I highly doubt then you're going to fail the series as a whole. Nope, I'm failing it. Sorry. Don't like Star Wars. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I, I definitely, based on our review of just the pilot alone, I think that that's going to be a worthwhile endeavor. So uh, we should probably get out of here. Uh, yeah, I just want to go through our quote cards real quick. Did you have any that we did not cover throughout the course of the thing? Because I had a couple that I was really excited about. Um, I don't have any. That card was empty. Cool. Well, for me, um, I really enjoyed, and I feel like it's a per- first little piece that we get from the Mandalorian. Anyway, we get the blue guy, and he goes, oh, is that a bounty puck? Is that me? <laughs> and it was, it was really cool getting kind of the introduction of what a bounty puck it was. Like, not exposition heavy, I guess, but mm-hmm. it... Because it comes up three other times after Yeah, that. absolutely. And so, you know, after that, I knew what it was. Um, is that me? <laughs> yeah, is that me? It was kind of adorable. And then uh, the Mandalorian says, I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold. And I was like, ooh, Justice all right, straight gun. to business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the only other piece I had was uh, <laughs> when the Mandalorian is working with the bounty droid and he's like, do not self-destruct. <laughs> we so will funny. shoot our way out. <laughs> so funny. I agree. If Just for notable quotables, I would put on the, uh, I'm going to self-destruct now. I'm going to yeah. self-destruct now. Yeah. Kind of recurring joke through that scene. Oh, so good. And the only other one that I did have, which I already mentioned, was the way in which Bad Guy says, so good to have the Beskar steel back with the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. So nice to see. I can't remember the dialogue now, but but it's nice to see something like right in the universe. Yeah. It's all been so out of whack. Don't you agree? Hint, hint. Empire wants its mojo back. <laughs> what a cool way to say that. Yeah, right? <laughs> Thanks for joining Next week, we're going to be reviewing Battlestar Galactica. Just kidding. We decided that we we got to take a break from sci-fi and spaceship stuff, although we'd love to because we're nerds. Yeah, um, we could do this all day. <laughs> yeah, what are we doing next week? Um, I think we talked about doing The Office. Did you want to do something else? No, I think it's high time that yeah, we just I've throw in a classic the like that. The, the Office Ladies podcast has gotten me so excited about it because now I know all the behind the scenes and the trivia, and I've been so stoked. Jenna Fisher. Jenna Fisher. And Angela, Angela Kinsey, Kinsey, who plays Angela Martin. <laughs> Gosh, we should have them on our podcast sometime. Yeah, that sure would be nice. Hmm. I would I would really like that. You're going to buy the switcher thing so we could put four plugs in and have four yeah, of us Yeah, I need a, a mixer with four inputs. Well, we're um, going to need to buy two more mics, too. Yeah. We'll make some accommodations for them. <laughs> Just for them. You know, if they came to the show, I would spring for it. Absolutely. <laughs> you better believe it. To meet Pam and Angela in real life. Although I imagine they wouldn't fly in. So, you know, they probably have all the tech and could do that remotely. That would be a bummer, not getting the face-to-face. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll go to them. <laughs> we'll stroll we'll over there. We'll have a better studio. There. We'll just rent that out. So you've anyway. been watching The Office Podcast. Uh, Listening, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did I say renting? <laughs> watching. Watching. Oh, yeah. okay. That makes sense. I get that. Um, <laughs> you've been and uh, and have been watching The Office um, as it correlates to the podcast? Yeah. I didn't start at the very beginning of season one. I think I started somewhere in season two just because like they'd been talking about it enough that I'm like, man, I really want to see this episode. Mm. Um, and so then, of course, in true form, anytime you try to drop in for just one episode of The Office, you end up binging all of it. So um, and I've been watching it on Peacock TV, which had been advertised to me as free. <laughs> um, it turns out it's a select a number of things that are free. So the first two seasons of The Office are free. After that, you must pay $5.99 per month for ads or $9.99 per month for ad free. And I was just like, 
I'm already on the hook for HBO right now, which I didn't realize. Otherwise, I would be willing to do that. Um, So, you know, after my HBO subscription runs out, I will probably do that. But I will say it was kind of mean and very clever of them to make it the first two seasons of The Office that you get because season two ends on a really good cliffhanger. And I'm just like... (gasps) Pim and Pim and Jam. Pim and Jam. <laughs> Jim and Pam. I'm dying to know what happens. That, like I Jim know. Jim and Pim. But I really, I really want the next piece of that. Um, that you know, is one of the finest it. moments of The Office. It I don't was. know that. And you know, even though there were many fine moments after that, I don't know that there was ever a finer moment than the kiss at the end of season two. Yeah. Oh my god. Which brings us into season three, and that's where he's at the other office for mm-hmm. most of it. Absolutely. With um, oh, what's her name from? Uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah, from Parks and Rec. I can't remember the actress's name. I totally looked it up uh, recently, and I Jones. Um, Rashida Jones. Oh, that's totally it. Yeah. Well done. And the romance between Jim and her character, mm-hmm. uh, and the way that that ends, and the conflict between not the conflict, but the will they won't won't they between Jim and Pam through that season. Yeah. So good, Karen <laughs> Philippi. Such good, like, such good drama for such a funny show. Just so good. Like, that was my favorite season was season three. Really? Yeah, where uh, Jim and Pam are estranged and he's dating the other girl who's wonderful. You love her. Oh my God. You love Karen. Like she totally gets, I only didn't love her because she's not Pam and I'm like, I know she gets on Pam's side. You know, like I'm always on the side of the person who I think that, you know, is the one true pairing, the OTP. (laughs) So if it's not the OTP, I'm like, Oh, I hate you for the first watch through. And then I watch through again, more objectively knowing, you know, the people I feel like should be together, you know, the people I've shipped end up together and then I can uh, calm down a little bit about it and then just (laughs) watch it through the eyes of maybe a normal person. And I'm like, Oh, you know, she got kind of a bum deal. She was a sweet lady and mm, that really sucks for her. And and I don't think Jim did anything so horrible to her, but he was just hung up on somebody else. Mm -hmm. And it was just a sad, unfortunate deal where this really, really, really cool person who just isn't hung up on somebody else. Yeah. Came into it without yeah. baggage. <laughs> Came into it without baggage, was totally committed, was totally true the whole time. She was always awesome. Pam yeah. was nasty to her, right? I can't remember. I'm dying to see it. I seem to recall Pam was nasty to her. There was the thing at the fire pit where they're at the beach. A little bit catty, yeah. She's a little bit catty to her, but she's just like, she's such a... She's such a good actor. And I don't mean actor, but she's such a good actor in the in the realm of the story. Mm-hmm. And just nothing really goes great for her. And she's just yeah. sort of a foil in getting uh, Pim and Jam together. <laughs> Thanks for reiterating my... <laughs> and, uh, and it, and, but it's just so good because you feel great for Pim and Jam. You feel <laughs> sorrowful for her. And you just have a bunch of really good characters who are all coming from their point of view that they're coming from yeah. having the experience they're having and it feels kind of like a real life thing where it's just look this isn't clean and tidy in a nice little box it's just not yeah so good um anyway probably time to run you were talking about um uh season two that it only goes so far yeah. and ends on the greatest point of the show yeah. to hook and you into the rest pay. yeah it's really clever so you know if you guys would like to watch the pilot you know if, if you haven't watched it i'm so sorry for everything we just spoiled 
Um, you know, if you'd like a rewatch of the pilot episode, Peacock TV has it, and you can watch it for free at least the first two seasons. So, you know, if you feel like doing this thing along with us, that's where I'd recommend you go. Plus, The Office is a very foreign show in season one. It's only six episodes, and it just doesn't ever feel quite like that again. And in season two, it grows a Riker's beard and becomes The Office <laughs> that we're familiar with. So, Which, uh, for those who have not listened to our previous episodes, the Riker's beard is the opposite of jumping, jumping the, shark. the shark. Um, and is when the show really becomes what it should be, um, becomes the best version of itself. I wouldn't go that yeah, far. No? It's where it starts to improve in quality. Okay, improve in quality. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, Here I am thinking I know our terminology. No, no, you were very close. But the only reason that that's incorrect is because the season two of Star Trek The Next Generation was also horrible. It's just that season one was so bad that when you realize, oh, okay, Riker doesn't have a beard, we should probably move on. Oh, he has a beard in season two? I didn't remember that. Okay. I thought it was season three. Oh, maybe you never got to season two. Hmm. I watched season two. (laughs) I just didn't make it through all of it. Whoa. Yes. Yes. Oh my God, you bleed back in your chair so many times and you never fall back. And the one time I did it, I biffed it so bad and landed on my ass. And she gave me such a hard time for it. And I really don't feel like these chairs are well suited for leaning back. So I'm so happy that just happened to you. <laughs> All right. Oh God, this so is a good note to I'm end on. I'm <laughs> glad the universe gave you that one because I just want to throw out there that the reason it's so hilariously funny that you fell in your chair oh is because when I met you, <laughs> I you that. once slipped and fell from a standing position. There was water. It was wet. There was a hot tub. I'm just saying <laughs> the situation was ripe you for slipping. <laughs> All right. We got to run. See you next week when we review The Office. Mm-hmm. Uh you can find us at pilotsthepodcast.com. You can listen to our podcasts anywhere podcasts are delivered. Uh, and if you, what's the thing I'm missing? If you would like to send us hate mail for all the ways we flubbed in this episode, that would be pilotsthepodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you just don't want to do that and are already at our website, you can go to the contact us page and fill out the form there and it makes it to the same place. Um, we do have one bit of hate mail from last week. This oh, one yes. comes uh, to us from Alexis Austin. Uh, and this one says... I do feel like we should give context for it. Yeah, but... <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. Her, her hate mail simply says, assholes, lol. Uh, and Alexis Austin is my mom. <laughs> She's trying to support us. In our I know. I was like, mail. did we offend you? Did we do something wrong? What did we do? I actually reached out to her and was like, hey, did we offend you? <laughs> She's like, no, you guys clearly wanted your hate mail. And so I wanted to give it to you. And I was like, oh, thank God. Isn't she sweet? I have a very supportive mom. <laughs> Absolutely. But man, I really thought we, we said something to. <laughs> no, my immediate response to you was, my mom is very offensive. Whatever it is, it's probably fine. And she can't be restrained. So just don't worry about it. <laughs> Anyway, thanks for your support, Mom. (laughs) And we will see you next week. I'm Riker. And I'm Shmi. And this is Pilot. Pilot.